Hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today's guest is a special man. He's a legend in our industry. Chris Stewart, thank you for being on the show. Welcome, my brother. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it, brother. So great to be with you as always. Oh my gosh, there is so much to unravel with you. You have over 25 years experience in real estate and finance and technology. You were the former CEO of Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. You're the current president of Place, but we're going to get to all of that right now. But for the sake of the audience, can you just give us a little bit about your background? We're going to dive deep. So just how you got started in the industry. You bet, buddy. You bet. Absolutely. And thanks again for the opportunity. So, um, as you said, uh, you know, I started my career uh, more than 25 years ago in technology and um, enjoyed that, did that for uh, many, many years. And then uh, actually just kind of got an entrepreneurial uh, fire burning inside of me and, and left uh, the technology space and started a mortgage company from scratch. Uh, we have quickly transitioned that in a mortgage banking platform. Uh, we did $6 billion in origination, our third full calendar year in business. Sold that organization and jumped over to the brokerage side of the business and uh, joined a, an up-and-coming brokerage that had been started, a, founded a few years prior to me joining, and uh, together part of the leadership largest real estate brokerage in the United States. That got Berkshire Hathaway's attention. Uh, so they acquired that organization and the founder and CEO and myself went over to uh, to Berkshire to run the real estate operation there. That was in 2014 and um, held various positions there, including the CEO role until May of this year and uh, joined the place team. So that's a quick, quick flyby. That was really quick. <laughs> that was that was two and a half decades in like 13 seconds. I like it though. Yeah. <laughs> let's yeah. start, let's start unwrapping. So you started in technology, but not just some technology. I mean, you were at Oracle and that was amazing. So tell me about a little bit about that, but more importantly, tell me the skill set that you think you called upon for yourself to go from technology to what was then fintech really when you moved over to paramount equity tell me about that part of it because this is a long legacy to unwrap yeah for sure so you know it was um it was interesting michael you know i didn't really have any i wish i could say that i had some grand strategic plan and had all the the foresight uh, to know what tech, you know, impact technology would have on the world's economy. Uh, but I came out of school in 95 out of college. And so it was kind of right at this perfect intersection of the internet making its entrance into the commercial enterprise. And so I was lucky enough to have kind of a front seat opportunity at, at that, you know, time, moment in time. And um, again, work for companies like Oracle Corporation, which was really just a sales and marketing university. I mean, you, you get oh, like, yeah. you know, a, a master's degree every year that you're there. And I was there over six years. And so, you know, when I think about the skills that I called upon, well, you know, you're, you're solution oriented, you're thinking very globally, you know, at an enterprise level on behalf of your customers, you're working in a team environment, right? None of the deals that we did at Oracle uh, we're done alone. In fact, we had a saying, never lose a deal alone that I've that I've carried throughout my career. In other words, you want to work inside of a team. You want to understand the bigger picture. You want to become a, an excellent communicator, which means, you know, a lot of people, I think, in our industry 
confuse communication with listening. And uh, you ha- one's a requisite of the other. You have to be a great listener to be a great communicator. And so those are some of the key skills that I felt like I developed early on in my career as a result of the technology role that I had and absolutely carried those forward into the hyper growth that we had in the, in the mortgage organization. And then also looking to things like scalability, uh, the role that technology played in our organization, the role of sales and marketing. And, you know, most of the folks that we hired early on were not from the mortgage business. We were hiring folks like us from technology and from pharmaceutical sales and from advertising sales and teaching them how to run a sales and marketing playbook uh, that generated the scale that we experienced. You know, I just love something you sort of said, you never lose a deal alone. Right. And when you start thinking about most of the people listening to this are probably people that are agents in our industry and, you know, and, and, and look up to to you and your career. And that's really something that is incredible, because most of us, most of the agents early on, when you first come into the business, you just sort of think it's you. Right. I'm going to go and change the world. I'm going to go and do this. It's sort of like. But the second that somebody realizes that you can't do this by yourself, you have to have that team around you that shifts. So I think that was so important for you to sort of mention that. Yeah, yeah, that's such a a key point. Yeah, particularly when you look at the concentration of the business today, Michael, you know, if you looked at the real trend study from last year, teams increased their production, top producing teams by 50%. That's right. Whereas individual agents and even the top brokerages increased, uh, you know, 10 to 20% range, depending on which, you know, category of agent you're looking at. So it is a testament to the the idea that a team will always outperform an individual, particularly in this business. And as the competitive landscape begins to change in the industry, where you've got big single branded companies like the Zillow's, the Redfin's, the Open Doors, the consumer is going to start to expect on the part of their agent, more diversity in skill set, more diversity in experiences, more diversity in deliverables and service provided. And so that, you know, I think both of those dynamics speak to that point as well, as a team will always outperform an individual. You know, it's almost a disservice for a new agent coming into the market now, because this is not a real market where you just need to step in and you just take orders on, on sales. And they haven't really experienced a down market, which is where the skill set truly comes in. And that's when you truly realize that even if you're a single agent, you're still not doing it alone. There's still yeah, a lot right. of people behind you. That's right. No, and that's a good point. You can be a great individual agent, but you would want to then surround yourself by a brokerage, by an office, by some assistant and transactional support staff that makes you appear to be. Uh, much bigger right. and more, you know, savvy than than someone that is just trying to spin all these plates by yourself. Yes. And then, you okay, so now you went from finance, now you get into real estate and you go into Intero, you were the EVP at Intero. Tell me about that journey. Yeah, so that was fun because, you know, we were coming out of the recession. So, you know, we we all, uh, for, for better or worse, we all hit the reset button. And sometimes that's liberating, right? You know, so you just kind of look at the opportunity, a new, uh, the mortgage bank uh, sold, actually. So it was a great opportunity for me to uh, pursue what had become really my passion, which was the brokerage side of the business. I got to see the brokerage side of the business through the mortgage lens, yeah. but realize, wow, that 
that's really a neat part of the industry and all the creative freedom and the entrepreneurialism and all the great people that you meet. Um, and not to say that that wasn't the same in mortgage, but it was much more structured. It was an employee kind of relationship and it just wasn't the same dynamic. Um, and so I, I was really attracted to that. Yeah. So I joined, you know, my mentor and what, who would become a great, great personal friend of mine, Gino Blafari had started in tarot several years earlier. And really we just hit it off personally and uh, professionally, the opportunity for me was to come in and build the franchising side of the organization there at Intero. And, and so that, again, calls back upon, you know, experiences in technology, experiences in fast growing organizations, experiences in communication and leadership. And so, you know, we just hit the ground running. And um, again, with no mergers or acquisitions, no fancy comp plan, no cap commission model, no yeah, profit yeah. share, you know, like really nothing that you look today as sort of the accelerating, you know, variables in a lot of these business plans, we didn't have that. So it was a very much an organic kind of handshake to handshake type of a deal. And so um, that was really, really fun. And again, we had a lot of success built it into the seventh largest brokerage organization in the United States uh, within oh just gosh. a few years. Uh, so that, that was really fun. So talk to me about that. Talk to me about that franchising, because, you know, we, we've both worked for many uh, franchised brands. And so how do you go about with a brand like Intero, let's say, or, or, or Berkshire or wherever it is, how do you go about creating that value proposition to really have that differentiation in the marketplace, not just for the people that are within the organization, the franchisees and things like that, but ultimately the end consumer? How do yeah. you start that task? Cause that's a big elephant to chew. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I share this a lot, this perspective that I actually developed uh, in the late 90s as the dot-com boom was going crazy. And again, yeah. I was in Silicon Valley working at Oracle. Some of the dot-coms were our customers. And um, I learned then that, you know, a lot of times in industry, there are companies that get created. And I, and I describe them this way. There are companies that have solutions in search of problems that don't exist. And in a lot of ways, I feel like our real estate industry is, is encumbered by that same mindset, right? We've got a lot of companies monetizing our industry, monetizing our agents, mm -hmm. and the solutions that they provide either really aren't that relevant, they're not that timely, they're not that economically valuable, but because of this fear of missing out, right, FOMO, and just kind of the entrepreneurial craziness that our industry is characterized by sometimes, we're all chasing these things and buying these subscriptions and implementing these products and leveraging these philosophies. And what, at the end of the day, what is it doing for us? And in my opinion, a lot of times, nothing. And so to your question, I think the most critical thing that agents or companies can constantly assess is, what are you doing in the marketplace to address any very unique problems? Now, on the part of Intero, we had developed this organic growth model. We had wrapped it in a really solid operating system. We had tremendous accountability and discipline. And our value proposition to the franchisees was, hey, if you want to build an organic brokerage and you want to do it in a way that is financially beneficial to you. In other words, no caps and rev shares and things that really aren't that beneficial to the franchisee, 
right. the owner broker owner but others in the in the value chain then that's who we were attracting so we were going after small to medium size existing brokerages or top producing agents who wanted to start their own and then allowing them to plug in directly to what we were doing as though they were one of our company owned stores and that was a really unique value proposition because most of the franchisors at that time didn't either own their own shops so they couldn't leverage their operating systems the same way or if they did they didn't create that that one team one heartbeat kind of a feeling the way that we did so um you know so i would just always encourage to answer the question is really understand who is your customer and what problems are you trying to solve and and as it relates to the question on your you know to to the agents dealing with their consumers it's the same thing and and so it's a matter of identifying where are your strengths where are your skills where are your experiences and where is your passion you know do you want to be involved in every step of the way some agents do some don't i've got a you know a lot of top producing agents that i you know still work with mastermind coach with and some of them say look i tell my buyers my skill is my negotiation i'm not going to show you all these properties yeah. and you know what that works for them and yep. they represent buyers very successfully and generate a lot of referral business off of it, but they do not show property. So it's just, you know, I think a lot of times in this industry, agents are consumed with copycat yep. and they see success and they want to emulate and model success. And there's, there's to a degree that's okay. But at some point you really got to be authentic and genuine to what you're great at and then go find clients that value that because as we know in this industry there is a client persona for every type of you know agent skill and experience some value a, a deep a, you know a deep history and a lot of experience and and closed deals others are okay to work with their cousins neighbors you know niece that just got licensed i mean it's the craziest thing but that's just the reality so just always encourage agents to really think about who are you in the marketplace and what problems are you solving? What experiences are you bringing to the table? And I think that's so important when you start sort of thinking about 1.3 million agents that are a part of NAR, right? And that's just the United States. And you start sort of thinking about that. Somebody has to really define their why, right? Somebody really needs to sort of say to a consumer, this is why you should work with me because there's a lot of other choices out there. That's so right. That is, and I love the one team, one heartbeat. I love that. that was, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that was that was big. And that, you know, that was for us. Now, when I transitioned to Berkshire, there and again is a totally different, um, you know, sort of profile. We're looking for big, established uh, regional brokerages. They're looking to uh, grow through acquisitions. They're looking for capital. They're looking to be a part of a global network for referral and relocation. So those were things, again, that we felt like in some areas we could be very unique and differentiated. In other areas, we're kind of checking the same boxes all the other big franchisors were checking. So yep. then it becomes a situation of relationships and it becomes a situation of, hey, um, you know, I'm in this market, you know, I'm in the Boston market and there every other major franchisor has brands and companies that are here you don't so now it's just an opportunity white space conversation so yeah. it's just you know again just trying to figure out what uniquely do you bring and sometimes it's market to market uh sometimes it's company size that determines you know where and how you fit and what value you bring and so it's just a matter of uh from a leadership standpoint 
being flexible and open-minded enough to realize uh, what all the tools that you have in the tool belt and then bringing, you know, the right one to the job, so to speak. I love that. And you were such a strong part of that brand. That's such a great global brand. And you were so associated and your passion was, and you still have it, Chris. It's like, you know, we've, we've sat on panels together and it's sort of like your passion is always something that precedes you. And it's always fun to see you because that is, you, you live where you are. And so you were so much a part of that Berkshire Hathaway story. And it's really beautiful to see what you left as a legacy and now what you've transitioned into with place. And I would love to hear about place. And now you're back to that real estate technology space. Tell me what place is for the sake of the audience and how this journey has continued now. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And, um, and yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, if, if you're not going to, to me, if you're not going to make it personal, and you're not going to put your your own passion and, and interest and love into it. It's probably not going to be that great, and or you probably won't be that great at it, you know. And That's so, right. every every ounce of love that I poured into my roles there at Berkshire were genuine, authentic. I have nothing but the best best memories and experiences and relationships coming from that. However. As I looked at my own personal journey and what I wanted to do and be inspired to do mo with most of my time, that was work with the top producing agents. And how could I personally be involved in an organization that made more of an impact specifically with that community? And it's not like we ignored that community at Berkshire. It was just my role running the franchise was several layers removed from how I could specifically impact the top producers. And that's really what I found at place. Obviously, I wasn't looking, uh, but as the, the, the opportunity presented itself and I understood the model better and better over time, um, it was clear that this would be my next role and where I wanted to you know, focus my passion and energy. And so what is place? Well, let me, let me sort of address the dynamics in the marketplace. Again, problems in search of solutions, right? Here's the problems that, that I see. Top producers, for the most part, and again, I'm just making some general statements, obviously, here. This is not a, a, a catch-all. But generally speaking, top producers, I find, even if their GCI is growing, their income revenue is growing, a lot of times their net income is staying the same. That's Why? True. Because they're bumping their heads against ceilings of attracting talent, retaining talent, what to pay the talent, what is my organizational design and business strategy, who do I hire when and what do I pay them, how do I get them productive, whether it's my operations staff or my producers, my sales agents on my teams, um, what is the technology, right, what is, what is the underpinning technology and how does that integrate to support my business, and the reality is, all of these things are constantly changing variables in a top agent's business that require them to spend a lot of their time and money and consequently leads them to remaining on that hamster wheel of production. Sure. So I see them not earning more net income, even if their GCI is growing. I see them unable to step away from production long-term. I see them unable to create equity in their business that actually creates a saleable asset at some point down the road. I see them unable to create the financial independence. I mean, some of the top producing agents 
in the industry, I mean, they're making millions of dollars a year, are still unfortunately living check to check, deal to deal. And that is that is heartbreaking for me because I, I recognize the talent, the work ethic, the sacrifice that these folks exhibit. And so I'm saying there is a better way. And when I look at the the business of a top producing agent, I really distill it into five key areas. Number one is their production system. Number two is their attraction and development systems. Number three is their organizational and business strategy, who to hire, when to hire them, how to get them productive, what to pay them, what do they do? Number four is my financial management infrastructure. That is where you focus on expense management, profit maximization, wealth creation. And number five is the integrated technology that's really needed to deliver all of the other four operating systems. So today, for the most part, agents are left to assemble those five key operating systems by going out and contracting with a maze of vendors. They've got product vendors, coaching vendors, technology vendors. And guess what? Those vendors don't care if those top producing agents achieve their ultimate financial goals. They're not looking at their bottom line. They don't care if they're making more money. They don't care if they're developing financial freedom and and wealth and independence. And, And you know what? Those vendors don't need to do that. But some of those vendors don't do much, right? They're solutions in search of a problem that doesn't exist. And so what I found at place is through the combined efforts of more than 20 years in the business, we have incubated the only fully integrated end-to-end operating platform that brings all five of those operating systems into play for top producing agents. So we're seeing our customers, our place customers, when they come on the platform, they're not incrementally increasing. They're exponentially increasing their production, their agent attraction and retention, their agent productivity, their profitability. Most of our operators operate at a greater than 30% net operating income. So it's it just speaks to the way that the industry, in my opinion, must evolve to better serve the very top producing agents and teams in the industry, which again are, as we're seeing in, in the in the results, beginning to soak up more and more of the industry's production. That is amazing. Look at you with your like the passion rings true, Chris. This is like amazing. I love this. That is well, that's extraordinary. Well, this is great, Michael, because you know, now you know, we'll be able to impact a collection of of top producing agents in the form of our place partners and really develop and deliver on the promise that this industry has for them, right? Financial independence, wealth development, step away from personal production on your own terms and give them those, not just today, but into the future, those operating systems, uh, you know, that, that, you know, that, that matter most in a way that's integrated. Giving them freedom. In essence, yeah, giving yeah. them freedom, giving them security, giving them sustainability and, and doing it in a way that doesn't put them on an island. You know, and that, that's the thing I want everyone to know is, number one, you're not alone. And number two, there has been a path, you know, a trail blazed for you. So you're not alone. And, and someone has done what you are either struggling to do or aspire to do. Love that. 
I love that. Hey, Chris, what's the greatest lesson you've ever learned in your career? You know, I, I, I would have to say that it's the quality of people that you surround yourself with is absolutely everything. Yep. And it's, you know, it's hard for me to pinpoint when or how that lesson was was shared with me right michael so to speak yeah but over the course of my experiences it is 100 percent a function of who you're surrounding yourself with and and that's another thing that gets me so inspired by where i am now because i imagine how many top producers i i i like to say a lot of times that top producers are so fiercely fought over but yeah. then so quickly forgotten yeah, and yeah. I meet so many top producers that are sitting inside of a brokerage, could be a small mom and pop, maybe they're independently owned as the owner operator, or maybe they're inside one of these big global brands, but they're being left alone. Why? Because their manager doesn't want to rock the boat. Their manager or brand or brokerage doesn't feel like they can offer any value, so they just don't want to disrupt it. And those are the people that deserve and are most willing to be coached up. Sure. And so that that's my passion. I want to cajole every top producer in the industry to the extent that they're not being surrounded by great people. I want to expose them to greatness because I, I'm confident that all of them can two, three, five X their production and not just their top line production, but their profitability and their and their financial independence and their wealth development. You know, I talked to actually I have a great friend who is the head football coach at the University of Hawaii. And I interviewed him yesterday for our partner call. We have a partner call every Monday at one o'clock and we just share best practices and pour into to each other. And so I brought my coach, Coach Todd Graham, University of Hawaii. And that was one of the things we talked about. I said, Coach, what what errors do you see amongst your peers in the industry? He said, you know, 90 percent of them never win any championships. And 90% of them stay networked with the other 90% that never win anything. And all they do, he calls it the fellowship of the miserable. And I said, so what behaviors do they, do they bring about in terms of the practice field and their approach? He said, most of them yell more at the second and third string players than they do their star athletes. So, so this behavior, it carries itself out in multiple industries. And the real estate industry, I feel like, is, is just ripe for transformation in this area. We need to focus on our very, very best people in the industry. We need to pour into them. We need to help them get out of this industry, what they're all collectively sacrificing to put in. And in my opinion, that comes in the form of better systems, better tools, better integration, less confusion, less noise, and yeah. ultimately more profitability. That's really very powerful. I love that. Now, earlier we talked about new people into the industry, right? So yeah. somebody stepping in today with your 25 years plus of experience, what are three pieces of advice you would give somebody entering the business today? Yeah. So number one is we all need to operate in the presence of a plan or a vision. And so that plan needs to be associated with the the activities that will lead to the results so many people come into this business and they're focused on the finish line and and that is the wrong mentality it's a recipe for short-term failure and burnout and uh, so you know one of the things we've done very successfully throughout my career is 
wrapped our operating models into the four disciplines of execution. So the four disciplines of execution are number one discipline, focus on your wildly important goals. Fewer goals, not more goals. Number two is act on the lead measures. It doesn't matter to read the scoreboard after the game. Did you prepare? Did you train? Did you study, right? It's the lead measures that result in the scoreboard. Number three is create a compelling scoreboard. You have to see what you're tracking. And the lead measures are new contacts, new appointments, new showings, right? These are the leading indicators of tomorrow's success. So if I'm focused on my lead measures, then I create a compelling scoreboard to allow me to keep my score every day or week. And number four is develop a great culture and discipline of accountability. So going back to my first imperative, you have to visualize the success that you want to create, reverse engineer what are the leading measures, leading activities that you need to be focused on, make sure that you can see and report those, not just to yourself, but an accountability partner. So number two is you've got to work inside of an organization that's going to push you and challenge you and give you the requisite tools, technology, website, presentation tools, and some people around you that motivate you. And I would say the third thing is, if you have some key skill deficiencies, in other words, if you're not a great presenter, if you're not a great communicator, if you're not a great analytical relative to understanding the market and how to even develop a basic CMA, these are requisite skills that you must develop to have any level of success in this business. And be honest with yourself, if you don't have those, go join a team. Go join some people that are going to, you know, you know, cover up those gaps and and give you glasses to those blind spots until you can stand on your own and then and then and then create the next chapter in your business plan. So those would be the three things, clarity in your purpose and your vision and understanding how to get that stuff done in terms of the activities and behaviors. Surround yourself with some basic support, basic leadership at your local office level. And then if you've got some really key skill set deficiencies or experience blind spots, join a team. You have such an open heart. What you gave was gold just now. And that is, I mean, that's amazing information for anyone with your lens coming in. That was that was really generous. Thanks for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, all right. So your, what advice would you give your 10-year-old self from your lens today? You know, that's <laughs> always a that's always a big question. I, I think, you know, because there's there's so much, so yeah. much obviously that I would I would, you know, change or do better or do more of. Here's what I would I would probably say to my professional self is. I should have never left technology. Why? Because the longer you do something, the better you become at it, the deeper your relationships, the, the, the richer uh, and, and, and more deep, um, you know, your experiences and perspectives. And so that would now do I regret it? No, but I think that I, 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 I just feel like that I would have been more successful had I stayed in one area of the business, it's not like I didn't like it right. um, or wasn't successful at it. I both, I really enjoyed it and I was very successful at it. And so, and so why do I share that with your audience is because for most people in this business, whether you're new or maybe at a, at some kind of a peak in your current trajectory in the career, 
you've got to stick with it. That next level of success is a function of maybe just surrounding yourself by one additional person, maybe just implementing one level of accountability in how you're approaching the business today. Maybe just having one level of, of discipline to your lead measure activities, your business development activities, maybe being one more degree disciplined around some of that could create a transformational change for your results. And so just want to encourage everyone, regardless of where you're at, if you're having any sort of resistance or, or frustration, it's just stick with it. You know, I was inspired uh, last night by one of the swimmers on the Olympic team that said, you know, and, and so many actually the swimmer, they, they chronicled the swimmer, but there were actually two gymnasts earlier this week that both said that they wanted to quit three years ago. And yeah. so this, this human emotion of how we deal with obstacles and resistance and challenge in our lives and in our business is perfectly natural. So I would say you have some frustration or you're, you're dealing with something in the business right now. You know what it's called? Natural. Don't think too much about it. Keep, keep pressing and, um, and just stick with it. I love that. I have one final question for you. So in your book of life, what is this chapter called? Uh, you know, I would say, um, I would say maybe leverage. Oh, nice that. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, you know, we really have a, an opportunity here at place to build a really substantial organization within the industry. And I think that with that, uh, there'll be a lot of opportunity for, uh, for all of the folks that are associated with us in our related businesses and who knows, you know, an IPO or an acquisition. I don't know, you know, the sky's yeah. the limit really with, with what's possible. And so I want to make sure that I'm helping everyone understand how those possibilities can develop leverage for them and their families and, uh, and their professional, uh, you know, careers long-term too. So that, that'd be the one, the one word chapter title. Love it. Love it. Chris Stewart, thank you so much, my friend. You are such an amazing leader in our industry. It was so generous of your heart to sit down and share so candidly and so pointedly with the audience your success and really your point of view. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, my brother. You got it, Michael. And thank you, man. Thank you for your leadership and your energy and your hard work in our industry and just uh, blazing trails for other people out there. I appreciate you and appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Chris. And thank you for all of you for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.